Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Midweek Metagame. I'm your host, Gabriel Nassif, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Canister. Hello. And Get Smart. Hi. I've been demoted down the order due to absence, but it's nice to be back. Oh, it's still near random. Anyways. <laughs> sure is. Got a ton to talk about this week. Worlds. I competed. It went okay for a while. We got Pioneer Canister. Spoiler alert. Requalified for the Pro Tour. He's back. I did. He, Yeah, you did. You did it. Um, played the, the RC and Leo, so we'll be talking about Pioneer. And I've even played a bit of Modern in the past few days, so we'll be talking about that full schedule. Um, should be a great episode. Before we get into things, I'd like to remind you, you can support us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash midweekmetagame. Content will always be free. We do it for the love of the game, but if you want to support us, it doesn't hurt. Um, Patreon, yep. Uh, <laughs> yep, you plugged it. Well, well, well. Another week, another Worlds. I don't know. There is a ton going on. Uh, we're going to start with Worlds. I think you guys watched a bit. I was the uh, only one of us free competing. I ended up making top 32. I had a really good day one. I went 5-1-1. I did poorly on day two, didn't play very well. Maybe we can try and figure out what went wrong. But um, yeah, started was testing, I guess. We kind of overlooked Esper Midrange and Standard, which ended up being the most played deck and had a really high win rate too, 58%. So I guess our testing was a little loose on that front, but I think we were happy with the two decks we ended up playing, even the three decks. It was 10 of us. Two thirds of the team played mono white aggro. A third of the team played five color ramp and Gilly Cassis played up the Beanstalk deck. And overall, we all did pretty well. I don't know what you guys thought about standard, about the meta. What did you think? I have to say, uh, I have played a little bit of standard too, because uh, on Sunday when the top eight of the world championship was played, there was a standard super qualifier on Magic Online which I participated in. I played uh, four color ramp domain. Uh, I took the list from Reed Duke. So was it exactly the same list? It seems pretty pretty similar to what I ended up playing in the qualifiers. So it seems like you were on the same build, right? Yeah, me, Seth and Reed played the exact same 75. All the six players playing mono white played the exact same 75. So we were all on, on the same page. Yeah, so I like the look of your deck and, uh, you know, just a little bit of ramp, some like late game powerful things. I like how how it like incidentally gets to play so many expensive cards without actually bloating the deck too much. Uh, both herd migration and virtue of persistence kind of hidden seven drops. And I have to say I uh, enjoyed my time when I played in that super qualifier. It was pretty refreshing to get to play a little bit of standard. It did feel like a fun format to play that would be enjoyable, especially in small small doses. And also, it didn't, uh, you know, it, it helped that I managed to top eight the qualifier. Oh, if nice. you're, 
yeah with the decklist so that definitely made it feel much better but overall i had a good experience as as a lowly mtgo grinder uh tackling at the format from the outside looking in uh, watching a bit of coverage uh looked like one of the most enjoyable sterner formats to watch particularly from a viewer from a viewer's perspective Seems fairly wide open going in with you know being relatively out of touch with the format. I wasn't sure what to expect, and you know metagame looked didn't look too heavily skewed in one direction or another. And I liked the gameplay that I saw as well. I think there were some really exciting matches with Reed on camera. Uh, my friend Anthony Lee did really well, finished top four. Uh, so shout out to Anthony. And so it's good to watch him play too. So yeah, I had, I had a great time watching, and it looks like going forward they're going to be dumping a bit more resources and time into standard. So. If this is whether if this is like the kind of jumping off point for a, a renewed focus on standard from for competitive play, it's probably in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit like this meme where you know standard is the best format, always has been the the astronaut shooting the other astronaut or something. You know, it's probably it, a period where it wasn't great. I, I was playing a little bit when it was uh, you know MPL time and. Uh, arena i i didn't enjoy those formats i feel like they're pretty like kind of one-dimensional and not particularly not particularly interesting but it certainly has improved recently historically it's been my one of my favorite constructed formats to play yeah it, like when we started playing it was the most important format it was that extended but it was you know constructed was basically standard maybe a little block constructed sometimes and i don't know if it's some kind of bias if i'm misremembering but I think I just always enjoy standard when I played with it. Whether when it was MPL, it was that kind of rogues, Sultai Ultimatum, there was another deck, you know, feel for a metagame. Rogues was really fun. I enjoyed playing Rogues. That was good. Whether it was the Oko PT, where it was all Oko mayors, it was still kind of fun and skill intensive. The Fable mayors I thought were fine. Uh, testing for the, the, the PT in Minneapolis, that was... That was kind of... I, I don't know. I feel like Standard is always pretty cool. It rotates. It's a little lower-powered, pretty skill-intensive. And we, we'll see. They're going to try to push it. Maybe it bridges the gap between the arena players and the paper players. I know people don't want to invest in Standard cards that rotate and then they have to you know, buy cards that are usually not useful for Pioneer or Modern down the line. So I guess that's the problem. There's also way more formats than 25 years ago, so it's tough to keep up was everything but we'll see i know i, I know uh i've been enjoying my time playing standards anyways and yeah that ram deck was good there was three different builds there was a willie edel build that he made top eight was there was a bunch of people who basically copied all this from magic online was bramble familiar which is the 2-2 that adventures for seven mana and then there was our list and i think we had the best list honestly i think having four herd migration was smart I think having only a couple quarters briefcase was good. I just really liked our list. I think we did a good job. Um, I guess canister, you agreed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was it felt pretty smooth to play. Honestly, you say that only having two quarters briefcase felt good. Honestly, I felt like maybe having zero would have been even smarter. As I kind of hated <laughs> seeing that card quite often. It was like, oh, that's 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 in my deck. It certainly. Funny, I was about to say that. I was just about to say that it looks. If it's the mold of uh, things you described at the deck that you liked, which is cheap cards with uh, expensive 
expensive spells stapled onto them. But no, no, I no, probably no, make no, an no. exception for, well, for hating Korea's briefcase. Well, in this case, you get a cheap, like you know, a cheap spell that's not particularly good, and like an expensive card, which is also like not that good for the cost you pay. I feel like, but um, it's a little high variance. But we found that it was pretty sweet against white it bought you a lot of time it got you that extra mana to cast a sunfall that sometimes you need to pay six for mm. it is decent yeah just the chum blocker the extra mana against the aggro decks was important and it can be really good against liliana because it gives you that extra creature maybe it attacks once or twice and keeps them off ultimate and draws you the cards down the line but i agree i don't think you you want to overdo it I um this is probably brings us to around to a reasonable point. Given that you weren't expecting such a large or any any presence of Esper mid range, what was the metagame you were expecting? You know, you're making choices like putting Kuro's briefcase in your deck. Presumably, you're expecting white aggro and probably red as well, since that was doing well in the lead up. Yeah, we were expecting Ram to be one of the most popular deck, and then after that, honestly, it, it was tough. We weren't sure if people were gonna be on ramp because it was doing well online mono red had done well online but we didn't think mono red was good in our testing we were pretty high on mono white aggro but it was kind of nowhere to be seen so we were hoping i mean the ramp players were hoping i guess we were both hoping for some golgari midrange because we we had good matchups against that deck and our testing was white and ramp but to give you an idea we did our testing we plugged in our results we did a kind of matrix where we predict the metagame and we put in the numbers of, you know, the matchups we think are correct. And it wasn't very conclusive. I think we did that and Mono White had a 50.4 win rate against our expected field and Ramp had a 50.3 expected win rate against our field. So it was really like, ran really close together. We did overlook S for midrange. We didn't really test it. We played against it a bit, but that deck kind of showed up a little late. And I guess same for Esper Legends. That deck was not new, but we just didn't think it was that great. We we were pretty high on Sunfall too. That's the other card. I think not every ramp place had four Sunfall. We felt like that was one of the reasons to play that deck, whether it's Esper Control or five color ramp. Sunfall's just super oppressive in some matchups. It was super great for me for the entire tournament too was very happy to yeah, play what for. Did, what did you play against in that Sunday challenge? No, it was it was a super qualifier, not a challenge, excuse me. But uh, it was like a few mirrors. It was one or two green-black decks, as you mentioned. A few of the Esper decks. And I don't think I even played against Agro. I played against Soldiers twice. First time I beat them in the Swiss, but then they were my bane in the top eight. Uh, I fall, fell to the eventual winner on soldiers and just my opponent was able to have uh, all of the relevant counter spells for my relevant place on curve and felt pretty pretty rough. Yeah, no counter spells like the deck we were doing bad against in testing was fairies, but we we got a little excited about fairies at first, but then it was just so bad it was losing against pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's, I think that's there was only enough. one player who ended up playing fairies at Worlds and he didn't do very well. So, yeah, we went into Worlds. Like, the, for decklist submission, for me, it was until the last 30 minutes, I was between white and 
five color ramp. I felt like I should play white given our, our testing. And I was worried about the time issue was ramp. So I ended up actually not drawing in standard, but maybe that was not the smartest choice. And yeah, I just felt like I would have more fun playing ramp and it was kind wait, of wait, a wait. flip. So you're saying that not drawing in standard wasn't the smartest choice? No, I think picking ramp for standards, given the time issues might oh, have okay. not been the smartest, but I didn't get punished for it. Um, but we can, we can talk about that. That was kind of a debate and something I brought up was other players and Scott Larrabee and Huey, the, the, the time limits on rounds. Right, yeah, it seemed to be a kind of big part of Twitter discussion in the aftermath of the event. Just, just how many kind of on-camera matches for relevant seedings wound up in somewhat unpleasant to watch negotiations. Yeah, that's a tweet that came from Kai, Kai Buda. He said it looked really bad on camera. And yeah, they give you 50 minutes and the rounds... Yeah, the, the rounds used to be 55 minutes on the Pro Tour, but that was a while ago. I'm not sure when they changed, but maybe 10 years ago anyways. Um, so that happened. The problem is the game is more complicated. There's mo more tokens, more triggers, yeah. more dice. You've got the decklist, the open decklist thing, which eats some time. And what they did at the last Pro Tour was they would announce the pairings, let give people a few minutes to find their seats and then we would get 50 53 minutes rounds because that would include the decklist review so they gave us three extra minutes and what they did for worlds is that they announced the pairings counted three minutes and then started the 50 minute clock so we Shit. basically got two less minutes than at the last pro tour and there was one less round so that didn't make a ton of sense. So basically it felt like we were playing 48 minutes and you might think, oh, it's Nassif, blah, blah, blah. He plays slow. He's complaining about that. But even LSV, who's one of the fastest player ever, said that the last Pro Tour he played, the second he sat down, he felt compelled to just play really fast and was worried about the clock. So everyone I talked to feels like the rounds are too short. And, you know, we're saying maybe they should do go back to 55 minute rounds and maybe only do seven rounds, you know? So it was a debate like Seti P said, oh, it does, like some people were saying it doesn't matter how much time you give them. Some players will use the entire clock, but I feel like that's just kind of BS, honestly. Well, it's probably, I mean, every round always goes to time and there's always somebody going to time and making the round for, making the round go longer than, than it's supposed time. Right, so like that, it probably is true, but it is also true that uh, it is not feasible to reasonably finish the game with many decks, finish the match with many decks in in many formats in 50 minutes. Like, I've, we had a similar thing for Pioneer uh, with the Omnath Bring to Light deck, or maybe some like different uh, Yorion decks, etc. People went choosing a deck for the pioneer event they do legitimately take into consideration the fact that they might just draw more often and that it's just so much more likely to you're so much more likely to draw with the btl deck so even if you think it's like a great choice for you or you're good at playing that deck it's still something that you are scared of and you need to uh, take into consideration yeah and at least it, and it's left. Have fetch lands. 
yeah yeah, yeah. not having fetchlands and pioneer is so is so nice like it makes it go so quickly shuffle so so little time so few times the part of the the part of the um debate i hadn't read or, or, or considered is just the amount of what's well, just uh, how common game pieces like tokens and treasure like treasures and stuff are, are these days like i haven't really played paper since treasures became a kind of, kind of evergreen magic mechanic and so the amount of physical manipulation required to to to, to get p- game pieces like that into play and interact with them is 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 should should probably add up i'd be i'd be, cons- I'd, be su- one, I'd be interested sorry i'd be interested to see what what the kind of sort of like mean finishing time for a match is and or whether the st- like you know the standard deviation of you know, the amount of time taken per pl- to finish a match in the round is actually you know if the distribution's broader and shifted to heart to how how further in time it's shifted yeah the tokens are a great point yeah i I think that you you were saying like yeah there's always someone going to time and that's absolutely true but if you assume there's like a normal distribution of time that people finish matches with some mean somewhere inside the round timer if you know the means move closer and closer to the cutoff then more people will be finished more people will be going to time or if the or if the distribution is broader then more people will be going to time on average exactly it's, it's not really a problem if one match goes to time but if like yeah, well, the ten or fifteen are it's probably the only thing that like needs to be considered with that is that if you if you make rounds like take one hour for example, then you do have to ex like you need to expect that the rounds will actually take one hour twenty minutes, like every single one of them because there is like it was yeah, tournament so with hour, hour and a half to day basically. Yeah, yeah. But but what about the argument that? Why not make rounds longer anyway, since there's always a match that goes 15, 20 minutes over because of a judge call, this and that. So really giving everyone like 55 or even 60 minutes is not going to make the days longer in theory, right? Mm, well, yeah, I don't... I mean... Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> I mean, hard to there, expect there's... it not to go for a bit longer, but I, I am also in favor of making the rounds a little bit like longer. And, and I think the solution of if needed cutting a round from the tournament to give players actually proper time to finish their games in time is pretty convincing yeah i would also rather have seven rounds a day instead of eight at the pro tour and have more times in the round uh, particularly if they're going to be doing this structure where like if you reach a certain win threshold they've essentially removed you from the tournament and give you buyers throughout that's just, that's the sort of thing where like it kind of cleans up the final rounds to the point where you don't I feel like you don't really lose very much. Like it's not like this kind of weird breakdown where one some, some certain number of people get over the points threshold. They're drawing and, and, and cluttering up the math, so they need more rounds to kind of separate the bunch of draws from the pack. The people who are drawing from the pack. Like if you, I can I can imagine tournaments of fourteen rounds rather than fifteen or sixteen going forward being reasonable. Yeah, clean cuts. I haven't but, quite thought the thought the getting the kind of Pascal's triangle thing through. For the change in structure, but anyway, it's, I, I will mull on it and we we'll talk about it later. It's definitely an interesting idea. I, honestly, the tokens are something I hadn't considered, and is a non-trivial part of modern magic. Exactly, and like for as long as we are stuck with rounds actually lasting for fifteen minutes, and uh, for as long as we need to finish our matches in the in this time, even if it's sometimes not doesn't feel like the most reasonable amount. Uh, given the complexity of cards and the amount of game objects produced nowadays, I think it Don't is. Don't about turning double face cards around. That's like you know a fifteen second interaction. Exactly. It's starting to add up. 
but as long as that is true you it is important to like be well practiced with that and be able to manipulate those those uh, things quickly and efficiently i think being efficient is really important i am personally i think i'm pretty decent at being efficient with my tokens and uh, board placement and making it clear for my opponents and for myself what is actually the board state putting my permanents in like rows different rows like having a row for creatures a row for enchantments and different uh, objects and also a row for lands without mixing them too much it can be pretty confusing to try to watch uh, watch a player whose uh, board is like a weird mishmash of lands chained to the rocks with creatures under them in weird places and like you know a creature in the front yeah. but maybe a token in the back and it's like all all very hard to follow which also probably uh, adds to the length of the match and then also as i said just be efficient with your tokens right and uh, the worst sin that i see players and sometimes my opponents do with their tokens is just when they play their fable of the mirror breaker then they pick up their deck box open it they search for their goblin token find it put it on the battlefield and, and then, then close clo- close their deck box again and do exactly the same thing on the next turn looking for their mm-hmm. treasure token when it attacks so like you really want to avoid that and probably just want to have them prepared neatly uh, on the side of your of your board or your playmat or on the table because it, re- it really adds up a, when i was playing paper a lot and i i this is you know feels like in the before time um i was like pretty pretty fast player and uh, and, and pretty well renowned in australia for being a fast player and when people would ask me how to save time the best thing i answer i could possibly give them was that untapping and having your having your board in a position where you can just do all the procedural things in a turn in fractions of a second really does start adding up you know, being organized and cognizant and all that you know strategy and preparation thinking ahead if, if all your kind of mechanical operations are smooth and pre-programmed essentially then it shouldn't take you too much that sh- it shouldn't cost you uh well it should cost you the minimum amount of time it's an interesting debate though yeah for sure um you know i was trying to be prepared at tokens i would take them out as canister said but I actually, had, tokens. actually had a match where it ended up kind of weird because my opponent didn't have the Kaido unblockable token and it maybe played differently because he used a human token and you know we almost went back but I was kind of dead on board so I didn't I didn't pursue the judge call because the judge was like oh maybe we can rule it back um, I mean that's a different thing anyways uh, I want to talk more about my tournament, I guess, going into the tournament, we saw the minigame breakdown. It was kind of funny because when we saw Esper Midrange was the most played deck, the Ram players, Misef and Raid, were pretty happy. And we got to the testing house and the players playing white were all disappointed because that matchup didn't seem that great for them in the little testing we had done. But I think they ended up doing okay. I think they ended up having a 54-55% win rate overall. I think Reed, Seth, and I had a 60% win rate which I tanked a bit. And uh, yeah, going to the tournament, I felt okay with my deck choice. I felt okay about limited. You know, we knew that blue was the worst color, followed by white. You really wanted to be either red or black. And 
kind of default to starting red or black, yeah, Candy Grapple, Torch, they're, they're really good commons. And that you needed a really good reason to be blue. You know, open a, a, a really good rare basically is, is, or get past a really good blue rare, which happened to me in the first draft actually. I first picked Candy Grapple, which is a good black removal spell for people who don't play a ton of limited. Probably best common in the set. And then I got past a card called Extra Extraordinary Journey, which is the blue blue XX rare that exiles a bunch of creature. They can replay them, but when they play a creature from exile, you get to draw a card. So it's not pure removal, but it's tempo card advantage. I had the choice between that and a mediocre black card. I decided to take the blue rare and it kind of worked out. I ended up blue-black, never looked back, and every time I drew that card, it won me the game. That card was amazing for me, the blue-rare. Um, I went two wins and a draw, drew the second round. I was a little disappointed because I had him dead on board next turn, and also, we were talking about it before the tournament. We were like, you know, going into the game free, you should be asking your opponent if, if it's looking like it's going to be a draw. Does the person who's behind want to concede to the person if one player is clearly ahead? It's something I've done a lot. In this match, I didn't do it because when we started game three, we still had a bunch of time. But I don't think it's a bad practice. I think the biggest downside is that it can lead to awkward situation where maybe someone's trying to jockey for position instead of trying to actually win the game. Kind of instead of still trying to win the game, get in a position where like he can say, okay, look, I'm super far ahead. You should concede because that's what we said. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, Is that it's... something you ever do? What are your thoughts? It's not something, I I... something I've done a lot in, in my career, just going short on time in game three and be like, okay, if someone's clear ahead, you know, actually happened to me against LSV in the world's like 2006. It's not something I I do. It's not like hmm. I wouldn't call that collusion, but it is like getting pretty close to to that area for me. And I'm generally a big fan of having the games and the matches during tournaments play out and it's as close to the way that I will they like should naturally. But of course, like getting to time is arguably not the natural conclusion either so it's pretty rough so the way i tackle that is i just uh, tend to play faster decks and play fast yeah, enough I've... to not get too many draws yeah i probably have like five unintentional draws lifetime and it's never really come up for me i've never i've never thought to ask and i don't i don't actually think i've had anyone concede to me in a situation where i was ahead and i don't think i've ever conceded in the situation where i i've been behind so i, I really i but i've had so few matches actually truly go to time and not be concluded that i, I couldn't say i don't know how yeah. i feel about it I, I think it's i think it's a reasonable thing to ask but it's it's one of these situations where like i wouldn't even consider doing it because it's kind of acknowledging that things are kind of fucked and not, not great if you know what I mean. I guess I just I just never really had to think about doing it. Yeah, but draws is so bad these days and the games just go longer and it happens probably more and more. So why 
not give Look, yourself probably, the best chance in the tournament. I think overall, for, when when it comes to draws, I've been I've benefited more from people unintentionally drawing around me than I've ever benefited from than I've ever lost from unintentionally drawing, except in maybe one or two situations. So I'm not really <laughs> people probably go to time and you know basically taking double losses has been net beneficial for me in the long run. If you know what I mean, because I draw less frequently than the average person. I understand. Sounds like you're making my point, though. But well, you know, that's not a natural conclusion. I mean, it's not against the rules. You're not. You're not colluding. No, I'm you're not, not saying not it's offering a, anything. I'm not saying it's against the rules. So I'm, I'm just saying that it's not the normal pattern of behavior, and I've been on the receiving end of it. So I'm just going to take my fast play privilege, and I'll 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 ride it into the ground until they take it away from me. Okay. Well, anyways, I went, yeah, I won round one, drew round two, round the third, won the third round. Every time I drew that blue rare, that journey card, it was great for me. And then in round four, I got paired against the player I had drawn against in, in round two against Matt. Right. And we were playing a ramp mirror. So I was like, oh God, are we going to draw again? Game did, you one. Run it, did you run it out in my, on game three? <laughs> like... Game one went 35 minutes. I was going to lose. I had to draw Sunfall to survive, but then I just drew a Traxa, which ended up being even better. I turned it around. He was behind and he was going to get dead because he was playing Bramble Familiar, which is good because it means you have more Traxa and being the first one to play a Traxa and the Ramp Mayor is pretty important in game one, especially. But the downside is if it doesn't win you the game, then you've mailed yourself seven cards and getting decked is real in the, in the mirror. You have to be careful with up the Beanstalk you know, you could lose a game because you took one too many cards on a Traxa or search one too many lands. It's, it's really crazy. I've played that mirror a few times now and it's kind of hard to know when to push, when to get the, all the cards and when not to. Um, anyways, we had very little time going into game two and he just got mana screwed. He kept a two lander on the play. So didn't, didn't have that issue. Then... I picked up my first loss against your friend Anton Lee in a future match. Maybe some people saw that match. I won game one. Game two was super close. Pretty frustrating. I was debating some sideboard choices and I drew a briefcase. And if it was an angel that I left in my sideboard, maybe I would have won. Well, I definitely would have won. So I felt like I got punished for small mistakes. And then game three, I just got screwed. Drew my two attracts up the top, my first two draw steps. Uh, I had even boarded at one of Traxa, so that was, that was a little heartbreaking. But yeah, that matchup, we thought it was really good. But I lost my two sideboard games against Anthony. Reed lost the three sideboard games in the top eight after winning Did the two really? pre-board games. Yeah. I, I, forgot that he, I forgot that he got he got 2-0-3. 0-3. real. Yeah. Reed did beat Anthony in the Swiss, but I think mm. it was a 2-1 win. Yeah, when so, I was talking to Anthony between Saturday and Sunday just kind of congratulating him he did not seem particularly positive about his his chance in the quarterfinals and then I woke up and he'd won so that, yeah, that was good I think it was definitely like bad variance for us like both Reed and I lost in the same manner we both had to keep two lands herd migration and Anthony the rest are herd migration and we get kind of stuck on lands so it was all bad luck, but yeah, maybe the matchup wasn't as good as, as we thought it was. Um, I, I won my last round, so I was 5-1-1 after game one. I was really happy. I felt like I played good, not perfect, but good. And 
ran good. Won the first round of draft on day two. I drafted blue again, blue red, and then it was all downhill from there. I went two and five. The last two rounds, I just made terrible mistakes against uh, Kane Reinhardt. I there was a turn where I played two green invasions and just didn't fetch lands for either. I just went invasion, invasion, attack one, one on each. And then I was like, oh, I didn't get land. So we called a judge and the judge eventually let me get back one of the invasions because nothing meaningful had happened. But yeah, um, played terrible against him, lost to my own Sunfall, over committing to the board. He had hit Sunfall of Siphon inside. It was a little random, but I think I could have won that game. And then last round, I just attacked a 4-4 into a 2-2 and a 2-3 Denik. And he just went, okay, double block. And I'm like, oh yeah, you can double block. So I didn't have my 4-4. And he just kind of attacked me with small creatures and countered a couple spells and I just died. If I'd kept my 4-4, I probably would have won. So that was a $5,000 mistake. Right. So yeah, I, like feel, I felt really bad at, at the end of the tournament. It sounds like another reason to only have to have one less round. Well, that was only seven rounds and I still like kind of played really bad at the end of the days. I don't know if... Do you feel like you're, you play worse, Canister, at the end of the day? I feel the same way on stream. I feel like after three or four hours on stream, I start making a lot more mistakes. Kinda, but I also feel like I make mistakes when I do not warm up. So it just depends. But yeah, it can be it can be a little bit rough if I if I played for a, for an entire day and. Uh, some stinky plays come to mind and then you just go with them because yeah you've Taking been the there easy for, the, for the entire day yeah 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 i feel like it, it should even out right like your opponents are also tired you're not the only one so i don't know yeah. but yeah that was really disappointing into my tournament i still got top 32 i was happy for reed i was happy for jean emmanuel yeah, world champion John Manuel was a problem. Yeah, John Manuel ended up winning it all. Was as for legend and standard. I know they felt really good about their deck going into the tournament. They were surprised not more people were playing the deck. They're like, "Well, it's weird. The deck was was good. It's a known quantity, and he he ended up winning it all." I'm not sure he had a great matchup in the finals against Esper Legends or against Esper Midrange, but. Um, he, he drew well, his open and mulligan to five a couple times. It was kind of anticlimactic. As I said, you know, Reed lost in the quarters. That was kind of tough to watch these last couple games. Um, you know, I was really hoping he would do well, but thought it was a, a, a great tournament overall. I think people watching really enjoyed it. I think it made Standard look good. It felt a little more like a PT maybe than, than the Worlds. I'm not too sure if it felt the same way for people watching it certainly felt like i was just watching another pro tour at home it was good i think the production quality i honestly just delaying the start of broadcast and just having matches just run into each other continuously is such a huge quality of life improvement that i will basically it's so much easier to watch coverage in short bursts as well because i you know i can tune in for an hour and know that i'm going to watch something meaningful it's just really great yeah I, I enjoyed it but i certainly didn't feel like worlds 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 like this big deal Maybe we're out of practice on having like Pro Tour style worlds. Because that was how it was beforehand. Worlds was just this big Pro Tour with an extra day. And you know, it was you know, a big deal. But at the same time, you know, it was just part of what part of the regular Pro Tour season. Then it went to this small field tournament. And that had a completely different vibe to it. 
Yeah, exactly. It was either these small field tournaments, kind of super prestigious, or the big field was the national teams, the national champions, mm-hmm. the, the team events sometimes on the side, the, the free days and three different formats to make it even, yeah. you know. Yeah, it was like a kind of massive spectacle. Honestly, I, I still feel like that whole World Cup national team thing is missing from competitive players. A bit that I I think they need to add back in as soon as possible to really make things complete again. It's just such a big deal, uh, you know, especially for people who are like outside of the the train. It was just like the biggest thing you could possibly have happen to you for just you know, for 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 grinders and ringers. It's just to make that make national team was so good. I'm sure. I, I'm sure. I'm not the only person who feels that way. Yeah, I think nationals was almost everyone's favorite tournament. Yeah, it was. I just, it was very based. Yeah, I, my, I remember my first nationals. When I was 17 years old. And I just, I'd never seen anything like it. And I've never wanted anything more in my life. And the whole, you know, next kind of 10, 15 years of my adult life were like based around essentially trying to, you know, chase chase whatever that feeling was at that point in time in some respect. Yeah. Yeah, I think it has to get back in. I, I, I actually kind of want to. We touched on this about 15, 20 minutes ago. Um, you know, they're kind of trying to push more effort, energy back into standard, and it's we just haven't had a kind of like grassroots level reason to play standard for a long time. But it is RCQC. There is going to be a standard RCQ season coming up, right? The yes. one coming up, I think, is modern. It's modern. The, the current one, anyways. I think the current one is right. modern. Yeah, yeah the, current, the current one is modern, but I, I think the upcoming one is standard afterwards. I'm not 100% sure be, on that. That'll probably be a big test as to how successful this pushing back into standard is going to be. Because honestly, everything you're describing in this world storm and everything that I watched meant sat, felt like, you know, seems like the format that I would enjoy playing and is interesting and evolving. And people just need an excuse to buy cards and, and get committed again. I'm kind of on Gab's side with regards to standard. Just always, you know, as you mentioned, the astronaut meme at the start of the podcast. Just, mm-hmm. just always a format that's kind of okay. Like somehow it coincides that like when people quote standard being bad, just like at the moments when there is no way to play standard properly, right? Or like as you said the grassroots uh, level so i'm kind of looking forward to to the standard rcqs i'm looking forward to standard uh, opens which are gonna be a thing at every magic con if i oh, am great. reading things correctly starting with chicago mm, that's great uh at the start of the next year so yeah i think like it's it's a pretty cool way to play the format and i i guess it's a pretty cool way to play magic and uh, i'm looking forward to it as, as i said well we kind of talked a lot about standards should we move on to um onto your your most recent weekend canister yeah the mighty pioneer format literally the most popular format in all of magic pioneer yeah, exactly. So I guess a good segue from from mentioning Chicago. Uh, as Gab already said, I have uh, managed to qualify for the PT. I'm back at the PT, and I'm pretty excited and exhilarated and happy to to be 
back uh, so soon after missing just one in Barcelona. I was able to fight my way to the 16th place finish at the regional championship in Lille. I was playing Pioneer Phoenix. Uh, pretty stock version of it. Uh, right before Lille I also recorded a video guide on my YouTube for the deck which is pretty relatively short but also pretty exhaustive and pretty good tool for anyone who wants to pick up the deck so now with the extra result as you know an extra proof of my proficiency of the deck I'm, I'm feeling even better about that and if you think you are interested in is it Phoenix you should definitely check that out on YouTube. Oh, we won't talk any more about Phoenix and we just redirect everyone to your YouTube channel then is that right? Exactly youtube.com slash canister. But <laughs> You know, I'm pretty pretty hyped. Uh, the deck I picked didn't, didn't seem to have a great win rate during the tournament, but uh, sometimes you just sit down and you have those tournaments where just everything goes smoothly for you. Like you you win your die rolls more often than you than you lose them. You draw your third land when you really need to draw it on time. You consider turn one. You see an Arclight Phoenix. You know th- those types of things, and <laughs> day day one felt like smooth sailing. Like I had to work a little bit for my wins, but honestly, not not too much. I have not seen a single graveyard trespasser the entire tournament. Well, the entire day one, that is, and it was great. Day two came came by was a little bit harder. So I started eight one. Then in day two, I was uh, able to cobble together a free free finish to. To go 11-4 total qualify from 16th uh, place. And it was it was just top 16 qualifier, so you just you just snuck in. No, no, it was top 24. Okay, but right, because I know they did reduce the numbers from last. Yeah, yeah, they 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 reduced the number. It was top 36 before. Okay. This time it was top 24, and it did came down to tiebreakers. Uh, okay. So as I said, I was 11-4, and 11-4 scores went down to 32nd place. So it was a little bit awkward that there has been eight people, probably a little bit less because of some pass downs. There has been some people who were already qualified for the PD who passed down their invites. So oh, it does there's... pass down. That's that, that's good. yeah. There's been a few people who who went 11 and four and didn't get to qualify. So my strong tiebreakers. And a good day one record uh, definitely helped me here as I was, yeah, exactly 16th, which also was like a price uh, jump, which is also extremely nice. Yeah, it worked yeah. out perfectly. Yeah, I saw you were 22nd going through the last round, so you had to win. What was your last round matchup? My last round matchup was Mono White. Mono White, like some, sometimes. It's not the best matchup for Phoenix, but it's like one of the most comfortable matchups. Things that like I just enjoy playing because it's just always clear what you need to do. You just you know kill your kill their creatures and return your phoenixes or like blo- or block with your Saheli or Crackling Drake, and that's it. If you're successful, you just win easily. If you if you fail because an Thalia into Adeline ran you over, then then you are not successful. Are and, you bringing Sahili in that matchup? 
yeah it's a way to to beat rest in peace as i said you can hear more about that uh, in the youtube guide which explains my reasoning in detail before the tournament yes i posted it on friday before the tournament actually worked on it for for like a week before that uh, i don't know if many of my opponents watched it or if they could have been able to use it to their advantage when they faced me maybe a little bit but that's just how i roll so you did it canister style let yes, the world yes. know what you're playing how you're gonna beat them and you beat them anyways yes yes still like to this day my favorite tournament like just just favorite favorite magic tournament thing that i played in was the inverter pt when i just like made it known to everyone and just got to the finals anyways and it was yeah. it was awesome loved it that was a beautiful one to watch just rest in peace inverter yeah there was a there was a couple of cool stats for worlds the cool stat was nine different decks in the top 11 six different decks in the top eight but if you went all further it was nine different archetypes in the top 11 and for the Lille RC I think it was the seven most played decks all had losing records yeah I love that I was watching a stream and they were like yeah so I win right I have that those stats <laughs> open right now so practice midrange devotion sacrifice phoenix humans and spirits all below 50 percent yeah uh, the big winners were lotus combo and Boros Heroic, I think. And then if you look at most of the, I feel like most of the f- kind of four color, five color, most of the binding decks did pretty okay too. Mm-hmm. I also see Grease Fang with uh, 18 decks representing Grease Fang going with 56% uh, win rate, which is interesting because you could think that like Phoenix having a resurgence with Slide of Hand would make it so that people play more Graveyard Hate, but it's just clearly it's deeper than that and it doesn't tell the entire story so yeah classic lotus field yeah lotus field just it's just always you know pretty high representation in like i guess finally a little bit higher than 31 decks out of 600 players it's still like uh five percent so it's not crazy but it feels like it's getting a little bit higher than it was usual and maybe in Sofia a year ago and, and uh, later on. But Lotus Field Combo just always always like has an insane win rate, but Yeah. One of the coolest decks was probably Astrati's deck. He he finished mm. first in the Swiss. I think he ended up making a small mistake in the quarters, costing himself, you know, potentially a slide at Worlds, but he was playing a he had the Rona Helix Mox Amber combo, and he had Luca and Bring to Light with Valky, and he had Luca into Atraxa. So basically, he had only creatures that cost one or two, except for Atraxa. So if you if you Luca minus on a two mana creature, you get you get Atraxa, and he did really well. I actually played that deck on a, in a challenge on Sunday, and I was four and zero, I think, or I went I was three and zero. I went four free basically, and all my losses I punted made some small to very big mistakes. Deck felt pretty good. The strat of just the midrange strat, honestly. I didn't even use the the helix combo that often. I boarded out the helixes a lot. And I also made the mistake of not having um, the the ether flux, the four-man artifact in my sideboard. I was playing the stone brain. And on Moto, you don't have time to 
if your opponent's not gonna scoop to you, you don't have time to like helix, stone brain them a bunch, etc. So you, you kind of need ether flux to just cast a bunch of spells and kill them with reservoir, but you know, I felt like just a mid-range plan was was great. I did play against mono white three times, which felt pretty good. Um, yeah, I thought the deck was cool, and I would definitely give, give it another shot if, if I played more Pioneer going forward. My favorite part about that deck is its just commitment to being a Yorion deck as well. So, so often with these, you know, multiple moving part creature combo decks, like, you struggle to fit in both your combo combo elements and also a reasonable mid-range game plan. But by just being like, fuck it, I'm just going to be a Yorion deck, you just get to have your cake and eat it too. And... Uh, that's my favorite part about that list is like you can be this dopey kind of mid mid range creature deck, but still have the combo elements without like sacrificing in any on a compromising on either half. I really like this. I really like that deck building decision. My favorite part yeah. of this deck, on the other hand, is the fact that it's a bring to light deck, which can't really fetch like a five mana card or a four mana card. So like the main targets that it is going for is either a Tibalt uh the backside of valky and unmoored ego a witch's vengeance or i guess you reasonably often you just go for a five mana retraction helix right i got helix once i got vengeance vengeance was pretty strong for me but i did get paired against mono white humans three times i got valky a bunch obviously um yeah it is weird that there's not a good five mana target because the card cannot get planeswalkers, can only yeah, get sorcery, instant or creatures. Obviously, you can't have a five mana creatures because of Blue Kai Trexa. It, it does seem like there should be. I guess there, you know, what's what five mana card is going to be better than a Valky, though? Maybe they yeah, it's, it's just funny. It's just funny to me, right? That like retraction helix, like oftentimes you, you're kind of aiming to cast a five mana sorcery speed retraction helix. And it's probably fine. It's probably still fine, but. Just a big departure from the regular version of the card, which is a one mana instant. Yeah. So verdict in the pioneer format overall at the moment. It seems like, you know, it didn't take much to bring Phoenix back to the top of the format, and that seems to change, you know, the kind of balance of power. It means that, like control is really hard to play again. Um, not that it was particularly good before, but it seems to have changed the texture of the format pretty pretty significantly. Is there any reason to be playing Pioneer or things we should be like thinking about going forward? Mm. It's, I think it's just like with Pioneer, it's just an open format and you should kind of treat it as as such. There is so many different decks. As you said, like top top seven decks having uh, minus having uh, less than 50% win rates. So it's, there's just so many different decks you get to like it's not a given you're gonna play against any any specific archetype even if it's almost it's, sounding like it feels a little bit like kind of 2015 modern where it's just like that's that's where i was about to decks. to go yeah, with okay, that right. yeah yeah and it sure like feels like that and sometimes uh, you can have a deck that's really bad against monogreen devotion like lotus field is famously not so good against monogreen devotion that that is fine. It's still like hardly like ten percent of the field, right? It's not that common that you play against it. You can really re- realistically play a tournament and not face green once. 
Uh, I certainly, as I mentioned, managed to dodge Graveyard Trespasser for almost the entirety of the tournament, which I was really, really thrilled about because uh, it's not a card you want to face uh, with Phoenix. And you just have to have a deck, play it well, and uh, know it well. And if you are strong at playing Lotus Field, then just all the power to you. Yeah. It certainly is the Tron, the Tron of Pioneer. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of yeah. deck that you know, causes misery and a bunch of people it's difficult to interact with. And this is just like, ah, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> just do it. Yeah, if you want to cherry pick a bit, it sounds like you should play either Lotus Field. It's done historically well, always underrepresented. I think Abs and Grease Fang's done pretty well overall, even though it has its bad weekends. But I would guess it had a good win rate overall. And people have been tuning the list to it's still you know it's a it's a it's a, it's a deck that when you when you build it basically you have a lot of choices and i think people are still kind of close to the list 10 grams played in in philly earlier this year um i didn't look at the list so i'm just guessing and then there's the i think the binding decks seem kind of good to me whether it's fires karuga yorion or you know what not so i don't know that's that's where i would look if i was trying to do well in pioneer control is unfortunately pretty bad i think it's so bad yeah waffle so waffle uh he had a good day one but i think he he lost six in a row he went like one six on day two blue black just did really poorly again blue white did really poorly whether it's lotus field or regular blue white so I'm not sure what you're supposed to do if you want to play Control in, in Pioneer. Maybe even Esper is worth it at this point. I mean, just des desperation. Just try something different. It seems like Quick Study wasn't just good enough to keep the format, <laughs> keep the uh, archetype afloat. Yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was that was Pioneer. There's a bunch of RCs coming up. Some people were asking how come Lille is this weekend and. And you know, I think the US one is in over a month. It's because basically the US one, a... the US one is in December. Oh wow, well, yeah. Because the P, the P, next PT is mid February, so it's not for a while. And basically, Wizards just gives the range of dates to the organizer, and then the organizer can put it, you know, any weekend. Yes. Yeah. So the US organizer is DreamHack, right? So they like they center it around whatever convention they've got that they they hosted it. I would I would guess. Yeah. Yeah, whereas we had it was Leal and face to face Calgary or whatever on the weekend, right? So there was the um, yeah, and I decided to skip Leal because it was right after Vegas. I'm kind of glad I did because I was still all jet lagged and my hip was hurting, so it probably wouldn't have oh. been very comfortable. I hadn't played Pioneer and I wasn't competing for much, I, I would have been competing for the prize money and I would have been competing for a slot at World, so basically. You know, I yeah, needed to four. make top two to really get something. And I'm already, I think I'm qualified for the first two Pro Tours. And I get a Hall of Fame invite. So I think I'm kind of so qualified for free Pro Tours, which makes it... They're basically much qualified for, for Worlds anyways. So. I mean, no, I still had a decent year. I still made day two at every PT, top eight at a PT. Um, it's not trivial, but yeah, I have a good shot. So... Well, we've talked about the worlds and pioneer and we went on a tangent about rounds and it's 
not even an hour yet. Um, we would have this time had been cold in in this podcast. Yeah, I thought I, I thought the way it started it would be. I mean, I didn't mind either. I enjoy I enjoy talking about this stuff. I figure it would be like at least an hour and a half. But I, for the record, I'd like to point. I'd like to say that I didn't actually mean to stop Caster from describing phoenix strategy when i told him to people to go watch his youtube channel but it seems to have worked out in the interest of time oh yeah we can talk more about phoenix yeah uh as i said my canister.com slash youtube.com slash canister mpg i mean you should you should for real like i i started doing those videos like a while ago uh i'm not sure if like either of you maybe watched any of them or not sounds like not really uh, I watched one of, your, definitely... one of your one of your deck tech videos maybe six months ago. I can't remember what deck it was for though. Yeah, what, have you made, is... what have you made videos for? There's a few on my channel. There is like a Song of Creation one, which was uh, you know maybe not the one. most relevant for most players. There's been a Modern Hammer guide, a Lotus Field guide, and now a Phoenix uh, video right. guide. I, I, I'm pretty sure I watched the Hammer guide. Yeah, and I just try to keep I'm them. Excuse me. How many views does the hammer guy to one have right now? Uh, around eight, nine k, something like that. Yeah. We're we're slowly getting there. I try to keep them as evergreen as I can, and I also, given that I'm an extremely uh, entertaining individual, you can imagine that they are a pretty good watch. Uh, so if you if you you know if you're listening to this podcast i guess maybe maybe not maybe you're here for for the rest of my co-hosts but <laughs> i think it's uh i'm pretty proud of those videos honestly and i think like i'm i'm getting better at them and there's gonna be more coming and i've been having tons of anyway, fun working yeah, what, on those, what, are, so. what are the highlights what are the highlights of this of this youtube uh, of this phoenix one like, what what are the kind of these the the, the short notes for it well, there is a, you know, an explanation of the entire archetype. There is like, you know, reasonings as to why to why you play cards you play. There is, uh, it's going to teach you how to mulligan. It's going to teach you what to look for when mulliganing and playing. And it also has a little bit of dubstep and some explosions. So. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. You know. So... If you, if you had an RC next week and a Pioneer Turner next weekend, what would you play, Canister? I guess we can answer that question at the end of the episode. Yeah, I was going to say, we have a segment specifically for this. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Anyways. What about what about modern? I know you've been playing a little bit, Gab. Yeah, I played a bit of modern past few days. I tried the Macwin Sauce, Up the Beanstalk, Bring to Light List. It was just four rounds of prelim, actually three rounds. I went one, two, and got a buy. Didn't feel especially great. I think he was playing 65 cards. I did what is, like... What is going on? I feel like last time I was in this castle a month ago, someone was just playing 75 cards, no Yorion in the main. And now it's 65 card after being soft that deck. What's well, going Yorion's on? not legal. And yeah, it's just like wanting to play the Ren and Six and up the Beanstalk and having enough fetches and lands to fetch. So it doesn't feel too bad because... There's not a card that you need to draw specifically. Maybe Leyline Binding would be the one card that you would want to draw most often, and that having you know more than sixty cards means you're not going to. But um, 
I don't hate it. I tried that list. It, it didn't feel super good. I lost to scam a bunch. I tried the NZ MTG list, the one he won the foil brainstorm was, the secret larvin in Las Vegas, which is blue white control splashing for up the beanstalk, two up the beanstalk, one omnath, one cosmic rebirth. And I went to two. I think I lost to scam twice again in the prelim. So not super convincing either. And I started a league with my own build of Omnath, which is 65 cards. It has Nissa and not Fable. I'm a big, big Nissa believer when we're testing for Pro Tour Barcelona. Playing the matchup against Cam, I find that Fable was kind of crappy because it was low impact and it was bad against Bowmaster, whereas Nissa was game winning if ever it stuck, if ever you got to trigger the second ability once, you would usually win. And you just needed these stop decks, right? You already have Omnath and One Ring, but that's not enough. So you needed you needed more of these high impact cards. And just gonna say I'm 306 in my league so far. I didn't have time to finish, but um, yeah, I'm just playing kind of stock Omnath was four Ren, four up the Beanstalk, 65 cards, the Halflings. Um, so yeah, that's modern. That's what I'm playing. Uh, Seems like Scam is still the deck to beat. I think there's supposed to be a BNR announcement in a couple of weeks, right? I hadn't heard about that. There, there was supposed to be one like a set amount of weeks after the release of the set, and I'm not exactly sure when that is. So you are probably so right. We'll yep. see what happens. They're probably looking at stats. The problem is I'm not sure. Like assuming. Scam is A, the most played deck, and B has 55% plus win rate. What what do you even ban without hurting every other deck? It doesn't seem like you can really ban Ragavan. Grief. Kind of tough to ban Grief. You hurt Living in if you ban Grief. I guess that would be okay. I think Grief maybe would be acceptable. Like banning Voidwalker doesn't matter that much. Banning Fable doesn't matter that much. And Fable is played in a bunch of decks. So there's no no good bands really. Well, as you I, mentioned, I think the thing to do is very... what? <laughs> the cleanest the cleanest thing, yeah. of course, is to remove every single one undying tree. <laughs> <laughs> once again, you I'm come back to the joke. solution that Dude. we already we already yeah. figured out. Just not dead after all. Undying evil. Undying malice. It would be funny. The biggest BNR announcement ever. How many are they? Do you know? Like I don't know. Four or five? I think, well, there's four I know of, but who knows how many yeah. more lurk beneath the surface. That's right. Being pushed out by the strictly better <laughs> not dead after all. Yeah, they're never really not banned after all. Yeah. It's the fifth one. <laughs> it's the most elegant solution to the problem. But yeah, Sorry, on, on, the, on the topic we've been, of... We've been doing this... We've been doing this cast for three years, and there's a couple... You, you you haven't made too many memes, but sorcery speed is sorcery speed anticipate for expressive iteration. And the sensible thing to do is ban these undying evil cards. It's just they will stick with me for the rest of my life. I'll always be able to tell. But you know, if <laughs> you assuming you really want to make a change in a format, and you know, there is no no cards that you could. Uh, remove from the format to change it in a way that you would think would improve the formats then maybe you could uh, look into 
adding to the format and I see, you know, easy candidates for unbanning on the modern bar right, list. <laughs> Clan Ironworks, of course, comes to mind. <laughs> Although <laughs> the relevance of that one is pretty, pretty up in the air. Uh, there's many... I've got, I've, I've got a suggestion. I think it would make one significantly better if they unbanned Inverter and Pioneer. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. But that's just that besides the point. I, I just don't don't even want to think about it too much because I just get angry. I get really uh, sad. Yeah, sad, angry, despair, desperation. You know, uh, there's some faithless looting apologists, Moxopal apologists. Maybe I'm one of them. I don't know. Uh, this type of stuff. But on the topic yeah. of decks that are too big, uh, you know, I've been looking at those 4C decks just... just having all of those cards going to 65 or sometimes 69 cards just for the for the memes it would have seemed i mostly lately played uh, only a little bit of amulet titan at fnm level so not too much modern for me i was mostly focusing on pioneer try to get that pt invite successfully uh, but being inspired by the 4c decks what i started doing when cyborging with amulet because sideboarding with Amulet was always really tough, right? Like all the cards, you kind of need them. Like you can maybe sometimes cut grazers, but also you really like to have the speed still like in, in your deck. Maybe you can cut some other cards, but it's kind of hard and you always kind of get rid of a tutor target or, or just make your deck awkward in some other way. So what I started doing with Amulet is I just started adding sideboard cards when I sideboard. And it hasn't felt too bad, I have to say. I just I just presented 60, 63, 64, 66 card amulet deck, passport. I just like slap three entrances, two dismembers, and a cavern of souls into into my deck, and just that's it. That's it for game two. And I, I'm not even sure if it's yeah. I'm. It kind of makes sense. I'm not sure if it's proper or not, but I've been struggling with not being able to reasonably cut cards when I cyber with Amulet for a long time and that's a solution. Not sure even if it's an elegant one, but that's what I've been doing lately. Are you adding any lands? Yeah, there's plenty of lands. There's like Poseju Cover and Bojuka Book in the cyborg all the time so I can just add those in if I'm adding too many cards. Right. <laughs> I feel like we had twenty five years of magic theory. <laughs> Whatever deck theory. And no one's really questioned this up until now, but it really, it really feels like you're going to open the can of worms where people are like, who cares? Just who cares at all? It just doesn't matter if, I, if it doesn't matter how many cards you have in your deck. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's decadence, deck building wise, or if it's genius. So it's still up in the air for me. Well, that Omnif deck's kind of tough because it has, you know, a lot of cards that do something, but you draw a lot of cards so you can probably reasonably get decked there's also people attacking you with field of runes i played against a moderate cleansing wildfire field of rune demolition field today so having a fourth or even a fifth basic wouldn't be like the biggest luxury i only had three you know having having extra cards like mills a deck in the format mills legal yeah it does well every now and then honestly this feels like this feels like social media misinformation of the modern age where like some people do well with like 75 cards in their deck and then they just post about it and a whole bunch of blue check mark people be like, ah, oh, it's the truth. 
<laughs> preach or whatever and like people are telling you to inject kind of invermectin or whatever at the same time and it's just <laughs> it's, I, can't, I can't quite grapple with it I, I feel maybe magic's finally passed me by it's oh just, guys guys yeah I forgot I have four stone rain in my sideboard too that's better we're back in <laughs> right we're back in territory that I'm used to what artwork I'm not sure how it came up anymore but I was trying to Look up cards, and I was like, Stone Rain's not legal, right? Because, or else everyone you would clearly be playing Stone Rain. And then I looked up, and Stone Rain is actually 8th edition, legal. baby. 8th edition. So, yeah, eighth I- I'm really hoping to 5 0 is this list. 65 cards, one Igan show, which is a card people don't really play, but I'm usually impressed with that card. And then the four Stone Rains in the sideboard. So, get, get ready to get your, your lands destroyed again. <laughs> I hope, I hope there are some matches where you can't figure out what to take out in your 65 card deck and you just board again four stone rains. Just giddy up. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like this podcast has really come off the rails in the last few minutes. There's too many cards in people's decks. I can't handle it. All right, are you saying we should wrap it up? <laughs> I think it's time to put our life on the line. You bet, I bet, bet your bottom dollar that there'll be 60 cards in my main. All right. I'll go first for once. For standard, hmm. Maybe just as for mid-range. It was the most played deck. It did well. It got to the finals. Maybe should have won if the Japanese player had been less unlucky. Uh, for modern, I would play that list I'm playing right now. Omnath, 65 cards, four stone range sideboard, <laughs> and four pioneer. Um, what did we see was good? I would just play Stradi's deck, I guess, but not sure about that one. Griswang and and Boros Heroic had the highest win rates. Yeah, well. Astralis deck is cooler. What about you? Mm, so, for standard, it's, I will just run the ramp deck back because I honestly don't know too much about other decks. Uh, and it's been pretty good for me and I liked it. It's been enjoyable to play. For Pioneer, hmm. It's it's rough because I could say Phoenix. Again, it served me well last weekend. Typically when Phoenix serves you well one weekend you shouldn't play it on the other weekend though. So I'll go with uh, Lotus Field as that's a deck that yeah. just consistently impresses and it's it had, you know, we had another good weekend and uh, I am fairly proficient at it. Maybe not the best, but uh, cap- capable of playing it. And the next one, the next format, Modern, I'm going with my FNM Amulet Titan deck with an undetermined size postboard. That's what I'm doing. Okay. One Oblivion as Stone. As long as the main is 60. Yeah, yeah, one okay. oblivion stone. No, actually, I was uh, considering going up to sixty-five cards in the main deck of the amulet deck. Four stone just rain. no, no, no. Just just because I wanted to add explorers, and I always like to play explorers, and and I think they're still pretty good. Just you just can't fit them in a sixty-card deck. But I think a sixty-five card deck uh, with four explorers would have a slightly better ramp to pay off to lens ratio than than what we have right now but also like I, I just can't cut anything that's in my deck so that's the solution I am looking at right now alright 
well, I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna play Life on the Line seriously, and I'm gonna play as for mid range and standard. I think it's a deck that you can tune to beat uh, a format that has ramp in it. As ramp is one of the top decks, and I enjoy playing those sort of. I enjoy playing blue mid range decks. Um, Pioneer. I'm gonna play Lotus Field because it's the winning deck, and I can't figure out anything else I like in Pioneer, so it's about time I just decided to do that. And for modern, I would play Scam with 65 cards. With just all the Malakir rebirths and I'm not dead anymore and just all of them. Every single one of them jammed in there. Just in case they ban it. And I didn't get a chance to play with all those cards. Hilarious. Yes. So, solid. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, Kenneth, we know where we can find you, but why don't you remind us anyways? Uh, you can find me on Twitch, canister underscore MTG. You can find me on X, same. And you can find me on YouTube under canister. And you really should check out the the YouTube works. They're pretty pretty excellent. I've been just just check them out. What about you, Pat? Uh, you can find me on X at twitter.com slash. <laughs> Twitter.com slash get smart and you can find me on Magic Online a little bit more these days because I have a little more free time after I've been busy. Nice. You can find me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash yellowhat, on Twitter at Yabnasif, and I also have a YouTube channel that's mostly my uh, edited Twitch VODs. Yellowhat, I think it is. So, I think it's Yellowhat too. Yeah. If you made it this far, as always, Thank you so much for listening. We hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next time. Take care. Later. See you.